0: Hello and welcome to season two of The Leaderverse with your hosts, Drew Lee, Lucas Sheradden, and me, Jesse Button. Have you ever stopped to think about just what are the basic fundamentals of leadership? What is it that makes a great leader? I loved today's conversation with Drew and Lucas just off the cuff. They came up with the top five fundamentals of leadership. That and more today on The Leaderverse. Castle came out of frustration for me. I was a little bit frustrated, okay, a lot bit frustrated with the status of leadership across all industries um, and both sides of the political aisle. Um, I think that regardless of the fact if we're, that we're winning in business or that we might be growing, there are so many leaders that have stopped leading people And it's frustrating because they're leaving talent behind and therefore their own growth. So that's kind of why I started it. And I wanted to bring to season two, better leadership and communication and conversation skills for the leaders that are listening.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I think frustration is usually the mother of all great inventions and ingenuity. And when, and I, I, I just am deeply concerned that we confuse leadership with positions And if you play politics, you could probably get a position, or if you've got a great idea and start a company, you could, you know, hold the position. And yet leadership's a different art and it's a different thing, different science altogether. And I I think sometimes my concern is, is leaders don't have very, they have very few places they could go to talk safely about I'm struggling and, uh, and I'm not becoming and. Uh, I watched, uh, Drew uh, Drew actually recommended it, the story about BlackBerry. And I watched that, uh, you know, what was it, three-part Netflix? No, it was a full-feature movie uh, the other day. And it was like, I heard the guy that invented BlackBerry when iPhone got put out. And he said, you guys don't understand. I am the one who invented this entire category of product. People aren't going to keep on because they want that classic BlackBerry click. I'm like, wow! What would have looked like had he been a leader? Said, okay, the market's adjusting now. Who do we have to become? What do we need to offer? How do we take to market something that, you know, that would be compelling? And I, I'm just seeing it. I guess when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I, I just, I think that this is a big opportunity to to help people lead. So,
0: I agree. And in, um. You're right, so thanks Drew. for the
1: recommendation Drew. I appreciate it.
2: <laughs> oh, my correct, pleasure.
0: Is... Go ahead.
2: Well, it's it's you know the uh the idea of Blackberry and the idea of you know business and in- innovation. I I have this really weird uh quirk that I like to periodically research, you know, the oldest businesses in history and see how many of them are still around and see how many I can find and discover and you know, and what 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 is it that allows a business to continue to exist generations deep, hundreds or if not even, you know, thousands of years and continue to exist. And then you see companies like BlackBerry and Blockbuster and Kodak and, uh, you know, Nokia, you see all of these companies just like that one point in time we grew up with, you know, I remember going to service merchandise or Montgomery Wards or, you know, now now I'm like, Hey, you know, remember Sears, anyone? (laughs) And how many of these companies just failed to evolve because we'll, we'll always need retail in some way. And yet most of the retailers that I grew up with are no longer around because they didn't change and adapt to what the consumer wanted, truly wanted. And by the time they were ready to make that change, it was too late.
1: Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Drew, in your mind, as, as one of you know, the top coaches that I know personally, how do how do you help a leader? Because it seems like the past always prohibits us from moving, or many times prohibits us. I guess all the time prohibits us from moving forward. So we don't live, we don't live from a sense of vision. We live from a sense of our history, and so and that could be success or that could be failure. That could be. You know, I don't do good at sales because I've got painful rejection issues or I don't do good at a PL and l because I get frustrated with numbers in my past or, gosh, I invented this category. I don't need to reinvent, you know, Kodak's the one who invented the digital camera. And yet they said, nope, we're going to plant our flag on, you know, film and it's just never going to get away from film. And, and so whatever it is, how do you help somebody effectively interrupt your story does not dictate your destiny and that could be a message of hope but that also could be a message of that's really hard because i only know my experiences
0: so good what is it i'd love to start with to like if we had to pick our top five fundamentals of leadership what would you say those what what would what would you say those would be i think um I think for me, a, a fundamental, I don't know that I could put it, I could rank them in order, but a fundamental of leadership is a commitment to hiring the best people. Mm. I think that's, I think that's one of them. I think that if you're going to lead people, you'd need, you'd need followers. And so finding the greatest talent that you can, I know that that's one of them. So finding the greatest talent, that's one. What what would y'all say would be one of your top five fundamentals of leadership?
1: I, right. And I've obviously right now I'm, I'm working on a book project. And so I'm thinking a lot about awareness and to me that I think leader, and the sounds so simple. And probably, when people hear this, they roll their eyes and it's like, gosh, let drew talk because he's much more profound than Lucas is. And that, that is true. And the truth is, is like I think there are five key relationships of awareness that we need. A, we need to monitor. We must monitor. And sometimes I have to have a therapist or a coach or a consultant to help me be aware of what's going on. So five relationships, I think, and uh, we need to grow in our awareness to what is really happening, like what is current reality without the editorialization, without the the feelings in it that maybe you came up short. So now you're wrapped up in your feelings of failure. You're not actually looking up. We came up short and here are the indicators. Here are the KPIs that we missed that caused us or whatever it is. So number one, what's my relationship to reality? Number two, what's my relationship to myself and my own stories that go on in my head, my own emotions, my own biases, my own preferences? Because I have a contention in this book project that many people don't make decisions. Their programming makes the decision. And so our history makes decisions. So that um, then our, our relationship to others. And I think that we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge everybody else by their actions. And we uh, preimpose their, you know, we, we impose what we think their intentions were. We were really good at mind reading when it comes to judging other people, but like learning what happened and staying in curiosity. I think the fourth relationship, what is our relationship to vision and, our, and what's possible? In my mind, when I'm in judgment, there's only one thing that's possible. It's my judgment. The Jew is not a good person. Jew is an amazing coach. Jesse's fantastic. Jesse's not fantastic. Whatever my judgment is of a person or situation, only one thing's possible, my opinion. When I get into the world of possibilities of visions, there's unlimited number of possibilities, unlimited uh, boundless vision that could exist. And then number five, what is my relationship to my actions? What did I actually do? Not what did I say I was going to do? What did I, but what did I do? And, and am I running my plan? And so I'm, I'm really leaning into the whole thing on the whole, what am I aware? Do I, am I aware of how I'm acting? Am I aware of vision? What's really at work? Am I aware of what others are really doing, not what I say that they're doing? Am I aware of myself and my stories? Am I aware of reality? So for me right now, I'm leaning into that a lot. Raising AQ, awareness, intelligence. Yeah.
2: So I've heard awareness. We've heard uh, the ability to go out there and surround each other with the best, the ability to go find the best people, uh, or you can call it recruiting. You can call it acquiring talent, but it's the ability to go out there and convincingly um, bring on the best people. And you mentioned the you know the movie Blackberry and do it in an ethical manner, not just <laughs> writing ten million dollar checks to all of the top you know Google folks or, or or competitors. I mean that'd be one way to do it. We could do it the unethical route, which was ultimately what also uh, began the end for them. You know, Blackberry had written checks that frankly they couldn't cash you know if you know the story or if you've seen the movie they went out and they just bought all the best people with money they didn't have in stock options and and they and they violated you know from from again from the movie no no uh you have to watch it yourself uh but they did a lot of things that they didn't acquire the best people in the right way and and i think that level of awareness that's twofold uh not to i think one of the greatest books for business is Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team. I have a giant poster of those five dysfunctions in my my office with the levels. And not to critique uh, a best-selling author like Lencioni, uh, I, I think there's a sixth dysfunction that is critical for a leader. And the sixth dysfunction is trust is the basis and the foundation in which a great company or team is built. But what builds trust? communication communication is the sixth dysfunction and those cornerstones it's what is a leader's ability to communicate because we've got to remember all voids in communication are filled with negativity the way the human mind operates say
1: that again drew say that again that that's a write it down moment you just ran ran past it that's really good
2: (laughs) all voids in communication are filled with negativity
1: Boy, that is so good. I wish you would have been around when I was in my 20s, buddy.
2: <laughs> it doesn't mean I know how to stop it because I have the same challenge. When, when you find yourself lacking communication, especially in leadership from people that either you lead or lead up or, or lead you, when you find yourself in that void, what tends to happen? Am I getting fired? Mm-hmm. They've called me, they to respond to my text. We were we were texting one another and then they just went on my a. And then I go back and I reread the text. What did I say? Was I offensive? Did I what did I do? Yeah. And that feeling safe and secure is all about communication. And the way the human mind operates, we got to remember, we're still operating on, you know, thousands of year-old software that still says, Am I safe? Can I can I eat it? It will it eat me? You know. And it's always looking for what's missing. It doesn't, it doesn't go out there, and this is why gratitude is an exercise and a habit. It doesn't go out there and find what you have. It goes out there and it finds what's missing. So in the void of communication, it's filling. Well, it could be this, and it could be this, and it could be this, and it could be this. And it could be, this, it could be all of these things. Maybe you should dust off your resume. You may need a new career. You may need a new profession. They may not like you. And how many of you besides me have ever had a text or a call or or an email from a leader that maybe there's been some time in between the last communication, maybe there's even been some distance, maybe even there's been some friction, and you see it pop up on your screen, and you're, hey, just checking on you, hope things are great. And it's nothing that you were worried or concerned about yeah Mm -hmm. and where can we as leaders get more effective and better in communication not top down yet from the top all the way down i'll say that again it's not top-down leadership it is top-down communication where it gets from the top to the bottom and if you've ever played the game of telephone You tell somebody, they tell the next person, they tell the next person by the time it gets to the end or the bottom, the message is entirely different. Uh
1: I remember one time working uh, for, he's a billionaire, and I remember I was frustrated in my organization, Drew, and I said, oh my gosh, I've, I've said this before. I mean, I say that all the time. And he was like, well, you need to go tell them this. And I said, you don't understand. I say that, and his response is like, "Well, obviously not very effectively." I'm like, oh, because behavior didn't <laughs> change. They were, not and so it's like, uh, that's. I think that's actually the burden of leadership. Is if people aren't understanding and people aren't uh, hearing and perceiving the urgency or the message, or whatever, then we're we may be using words. We're not communicating, though. I, I love that scene out of Jerry Maguire where uh where what the Cuba, uh, Cuba Gooding juniors characters says that's the difference between you and me Jerry. you think we're fighting I think we're finally communicating uh, yes. right. <laughs> yeah. right
0: yeah there's, leaders are repeaters, right and it feels yeah. like it it does feel like we can be broken records sometimes, but we need to say things a yeah. thousand times before there's a thousand people in our organization one. Yeah. And,
1: and or too, find I other ways like to, to say it right jesse it's yeah. not, it, like i don't just need to repeat it's like okay me telling you this way didn't land because and it you need not say it
2: until the janitor can say it or whoever's the custodian yeah when, yeah when whatever yeah. the person is that you would consider the most entry level yeah can they say it right and they recite the mission vision vow can they say the last directive or the focus of the month, the quarter, the year, can they recite your business goals as a company? What yeah. is the, what is the yeah. newest person? And, and if you're in the, if you're in the real estate space, can your newest agent be yeah. the team goals? Yeah.
1: That's so good.
2: If you're in mortgage. If you're in lending, if you're in manufacturing, can your newest hire, report to the most senior person and say, well, here's where, here are our goals.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: The, I feel like a broken record saying this, but we talk about communication and conversations, Susan Scott, fierce conversations. The conversation is the relationship, like replace the word. Think about it. So when you're not in communication, when you're, when one of your leaders has like you said before, Drew kind of ignored you. There has, there's been a lack in communication and our brains are meaning making machines. So then we, we freak out. We think we're doing something wrong. The relationship is lonely, right? The feeling is lonely. It's worrying. If I would um, think about if you went a few days or a week, just without talking to your spouse.
2: Yeah. Like, like, yeah, it's probably, probably, not, probably not, yeah, probably not a good thing, but that's, You know, the Lencioni five dysfunctions of a team is it's the communication that builds and his five dysfunctions are trust. Trust leads to healthy conflict. Healthy conflict leads to what? Mm -hmm. One vision, one voice. It leads to the commitment. What does commitment lead to? Accountability. Accountability leads to results. And I often hear, I just need to hold people more accountable. Well, Results, accountability, commitment, communication,
1: trust—they—they—they
2: they, they go in—they are—they go in line.
1: Well, Drew, I kind of think of it like you're trying to fix a leaky bucket. Yeah. And you're trying to fix the hole at the top of the bucket. When the truth is, communication's at the bottom of the bucket. You're never—I need to hold them more accountable—is a top of the bucket leaky hole. bottom of the bucket is you're not communicating really well so fix that hole first before you can quote hold them accountable and it it's not that they're wrong it's that they're doing it in the wrong sequence it's like a business trying to get more profitable by cutting their expenses well that's a problem if you have no revenue coming in you can't cut your way to millions you can't cost cut your way to success it's How do I communicate which is the foundation? If I hit first base, then I could get to second base, and then I could get to third base, and then I could finally get home. So yeah,
2: and I and I and I mess those up because I'm going off memory, but it's actually it's it's I put them in the wrong order. Results are at the top, then it's accountability, then it's commitment, then it's conflict, and it's it's having healthy conflict. Mm -hmm. You can have healthy conflict when you trust that person.
1: That's right.
2: And that's what that's why sometimes it's like it's like, what's the greatest conflict I've ever had? Well, with my spouse, of course. Of course, yeah. I mean, right? I mean, that's that's when you are at but you're in a conflict with a person that you're supposed to trust more than anything else, and vice versa, which is how you get through it or how you get beyond it. And it's it's that trust factor. And and you have to work they're in they're in an order or a hierarchy, and it all starts with a foundation of communication. How do we communicate with each other so much that we can trust? And as Stephen Covey says. Trust, you have to give trust in order to gain it. Mm, That's good. I don't trust you. I got to wait. You got to show me the reason to trust you. I'll never trust you if I don't trust, if I don't give you trust first. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be given in order to be gained.
0: Makes a lot of sense. It's uh, John Maxwell that, that says at the center of all dysfunction is a lack of trust. Right. And it's not just, you know, it's not just, are we still going to be in a relationship together sort of trust? It's the trust in the little things. Can you lead me well? Is this a safe space? Yes. Yeah. That's so cool.
2: Yes. And then until, until you have that, if, if you've ever seen like the, the movie, you know, Game of Thrones, you know, I've been part of an organization in the past where, you know, to me, that's what it reminded me of was, was Game of Thrones. If you didn't play the game well, then you just, you lost your head. You either became a a, a lord lady and and ruled a castle or a kingdom or you lost your head so you couldn't really trust the people and there was such a lack of trust that it led to a very very dysfunctional culture
1: well and and, i think what i'm i'm thinking about that i'm just thinking about this whole conversation the key question that jesse asked to get us jumped off i've been a part of a culture of fear where there was very little trust of the people following. And therefore it had to be controlled or it had to be, let me get angrier than you and become more threatening than you and become scarier than you. And then you didn't dare not do what you said, but it wasn't because that person was leading, that person was controlling. And the scary thing is it was effective. and It it got the desired short-term outcome. It just wasn't the lifestyle that that everybody wanted to live. And what's scary about that is after an organization has that culture of fear, yes. then there's usually a run to the opposite direction. And now we don't get any results. <laughs> so it's like, how how do you effectively lead people without violating your own sense of dignity? How do you lead people without having to resort to being a football coach yelling at people at the locker room? How do you, re- how do you, how do you effectively move human behavior? And fortunately now I'm part of an organization where I'm seeing a whole different model of leadership and it's, you know, it's leading by thinking it's leading by collaboration. It's leading by getting buy-in and listening and not just talking at and listening to, and trust me, every organ. I mean, I'm part of several companies right now, but every organization I'm a part of are hot messes because they're growing so fast. Well, and the Clim- leaders Holver. talk, the leaders. Well, like, communicate.
2: Author Clint Pulver says, you know, uh, he wrote a book called, I love it here and and he said you know you go to an organization you can talk to the CEO the CEO all i can say is don't ever confuse you know um effective with great you can be an effective leader and get results but not necessarily be great or a great leader and and there was a story he tells in the book of where he went to the uh he was shown the entire you know uh retail store of the athletic company and then he went and talked to the employees and in like five out of six of the employees you talked to, they were already looking for other jobs. So on the CEO side of things, I'm doing a great job. Look at what we do. This is how amazing we are. We've got we've got a history. This is, I mean, in his mind, we I am a great leader. And all of the people are wanting to leave. If you're a great leader, you leave people better than you find them. Mm-hmm. And 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 everyone, I think, as we say that, like one of those five functional pieces is internally, how do you want to be seen or what type of impact do you want to make? Who do you want to be a hero for as a leader? So I my personal judge is, does that leader leave people better than they find them? If you find people over in like the corner, like the Gollum creature in Lord of the Rings and oh, I have no friends, you know, or or, or grasping something, you know, Oh, it's like, uh, and now they have multiple personalities because of the damage that's been done. You, you probably should work on yourself.
1: Well, here's and that's the thing, Drew. As I, I just got done reading a book, uh, "The Fifteen Commitments of Conscious Leadership," and really uh, outstanding, outstanding book. It's I don't want to climb the ladder of success only to realize that when I get to the top of the world, my ladder was leaned against the wrong wall. You know, I, I I scored the touchdown just in the wrong end zone. It's like I'm not going to lose my sense of who I am and the character and the values that I have personally. I'm not going to lose, you know, key relationships. I'm not going to lose my health or spirituality. I'm not going to lose all that stuff in light of hitting a number or what have you. So now the question isn't well. I think then what happens a lot of people is like, I'll, I'll hear this when I coach it. I'm sure you do. Well, I want quality, not quantity. I just, I want to have a deep organization and, you know, profits just to buy. Yes. And in my mind, why are they two ex- mutually exclusive? Let me have quality and quantity. When, when you go fishing, Drew, I don't know if you ever go fishing. Jesse, you might go fishing. I don't know. But if you ever go fishing, do you want quality or quantity of fish? Both. Well, I want, want both. Want both. <laughs> I, want, I want a truckload of the biggest fish of the world. And it's all because I want to post on social media. Right. It's like I fish in my little pond and I get these. I little, want the
2: biggest fish that are edible. I mean, so there is like, th- there you go. Yeah.
1: And I was I want as many of them as I could get. It's like in leadership, let's not get in the world of either this or that. Let's get in the world ro- world of both. And how do I have an amazing health journey, amazing spirituality, amazing character, amazing relationships and massively successful at whatever leadership endeavor i take on
2: yeah i want to i want to be the place where you know the person who got their first job and the highest level of executive would still have the 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 thing to say about it at the end of their career you know that was one of the best places i was ever part of there you of. go
0: yeah you know it there's a the great sorry the great diana kokoska says uh, the Someone's five minutes with you out of their week should be the most powerful five minutes of yeah. their week. And that's what I want as a leader. I, I, want, I want you to come and meet with me and be so filled up with inspiration and idea back in yourself that you already have all the answers anyway. That's yeah. what I want for you. And how good that is for my organization is a byproduct. if okay. I leave you better. Mm-hmm.
2: So we have three things so far. If, if those are writing these down, it's the ability to find and surround you with the best talent. It's awareness, it's communication. What are the other two? We're going for five.
0: <laughs> if we're going for five, it's, there's something about the ability to get those people, to get the talent in, into the right spots, into the right seats on the bus. And I don't know if this is like a sub of communication, because if we're having the one on one conversations with the people that we lead from the top all the way through to the bottom, and we're understanding really what their needs are, then that will happen. Mm -hmm. But there's something about getting people in their lanes.
2: I think what stops what stops a lot of people is is the idea of I can't go get A players if I don't already have A players. And how do I get A players if I don't have A players, so therefore I can't attract A players. And you end up in this hamster wheel, chicken or the egg conversation internally. And to me, a great coach is a great recruiter, and a great recruiter tends to also be a great coach. And, and here's how you can look at the landscape, especially in athletics, you know, um, you have to double check the dates with, you know, I believe University of Alabama football won their last national championship in 1992. They had a long drought before they hired Nick Saban. Several coaches came, several c- coaches went, then they hired Nick Saban, a proven, proven, proven national championship winning coach, had gone to the NFL, goes to University of Alabama in 2007. He went there without a caliber people right they hadn't done well it was a the reason they brought him in and two years later in 2009 they won their first national championship in just two years why because he had two amazing skill sets and they're universal and they actually go hand in hand great coaching great recruiting they that's the same skill it's utilized differently but if you were a great recruiter by, by default, you're also probably a great coach. I didn't say anything about liking coaching or liking recruiting, but if you have one of those skill sets of being a great coach, you're a great recruiter. If you're a great recruiter, you're also a great coach. And that's how he went to an organization like the University of Alabama and didn't have A-caliber people. He went and found A-caliber people. And he raised, using like the Pygmalion effect, he cast a vision for where we're going
1: well, and I'm sure they are
2: sure. win championships.
1: Yeah. And Drew, you, you spot a spur thought, because if we're looking for a key of leadership, I think great leaders have great clarity around vision and know how to articulate that, which goes with communication. But I, I think that like I in, in the way I'm thinking about this now, even Nick Saban, I'm looking at what Deion Sanders is doing at the University of Colorado, where he basically is coming under fire because he has so many people transferring out of his program and so many people transferring into his program. And he's coming under fire, but I saw the little spat between him and the coach at Oklahoma University, which interestingly enough, I don't even know that coach's name, but I do know Dion's name. And so it's, I think that great leaders are very clear about what the goalposts are. I mean, they're crystal clear. And this is my contention is I think poor leaders live from reality. I think great leaders live from vision. I think great poor leaders start with what's happening right now. I look for evidence to support. Their conclusions about what's happening right now they look for evidence to support their version of reality i think great leaders start with vision that nobody else can see and then goes out and finds evidence to support that their vision finds people to support their vision finds training and information so we i don't think we live i think we live from great leaders live from vision not towards vision that i already have it in my head with great clarity and I, I'm going to guess that this is a fundamental problem that every leader that's listening to this has, is if you don't know with great clarity what it is that you're going for, how in the heck are you going to let your organization know with great clarity what you're going for? And then what you're doing is you'll be victimized by current reality. Well, I think great leaders live from vision, not toward vision.
2: I really want everyone, you know, we're not getting paid by the movie the makers of blackberry or the company <laughs> uh, i think they should send us a royalty because like we're you know literally just saying everyone needs to go okay
1: that, that, that balding guy whatever his name is that is not a good model of leadership no, so just a, before you horrible, watch it the horrible, balding guy he's not, not a great
2: leader. leader. um and and yet you know when blackberry was designed and what it eventually became let's remember it's that's never been done since they had a 43 percent market share at their peak nearly one in two phones was a blackberry and when he pitched BlackBerry and he pitched the idea, they were like, show me the phone. Yeah. Well, we don't have it yet. It's an idea. We can see it. There was a vision for it. They knew what it looked like. They, you're going to punch it. Then they actually had to go build a prototype. They saw it long before they could see the future of what cell phones, texting, and that looked like. And they had such a compelling vision towards it that they went in that direction.
1: And Drew, not just in the movie, it's like, I'm, I'm actually sitting here and this is something I've been talking a lot about. And it's like, it's bringing back this conversation that I'm having with my key leaders. Every leader in history, business, political, military, whatever, didn't lead toward a vision. They led from a vision and they found a supporting cast, found tools, information, training that would support where they were going. If you think of Winston Churchill, well, the guy before him, Neville Chamberlain, said, Let's just negotiate with Hitler. Churchill comes in and says, Nope, I already see victory by land, victory by sea, victory by air. We're going to have victory at all costs. It doesn't matter what happens. We're going to lead from we're going to lead because I have victory. So I'm going to order my day and my organization from Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. I have this vision that all men are created equal under God. Uh, you look at Walt Disney. I have this picture. He started with a mouse in a cartoon. And yet he had he saw something and that everything he did, guys, I, I think that one of the keys for leadership is I'm really clear that I'm not managing current chaos. I'm going toward because I have in my mind, this is where we're going. In fact, I'm part of an organization right now at Place. Those, those two guys that are at the helm of Place right now, they are not the greatest fix-it-today type of guys. They are the kind of guys that says, I have this vision. And we're going to create a whole lot of chaos and mess, but I'm going to live from the vision, not from reality. And that is inspiring leadership. Steve Jobs, I, I you know, the Blackberry thing shows his speech. Well, we're coming out with a phone. We're coming out with an internet browser. We're coming out with an iPod. Maybe you didn't hear me. It's a phone. It's an internet browser. It's an iPod. I don't think you get it. It's a phone. And yeah. it was like everything in one place. It like such a masterful way to communicate a vision yeah. of something that we had never seen before. And oh, by the way, it's not going to have any buttons. <laughs> yeah. Great exactly leaders right. see it before anybody sees it.
2: It's exactly right. It's exactly right. So we have vision. We have awareness. We have the ability to recruit. We have communication.
0: Or. That's, that's, that's,
2: I think think there's, I think there is really one more. They're kind. Mm. You can be harsh in reality and you can be um, highly accountable and you can drive results, but are you a good human? Yeah. Are you a kind, decent? Are you a good human? Are you somebody Recently, one of my one of my mentors and friends and partners, Chris Suarez, says something, and I'm like, I'd never articulated what he put very well in words. He says, "Is this a person that I'd be okay with my kids sitting at a dinner table with?" So good. I'm like, that is not a complicated filter, folks. <laughs> right? That is that is a very simple filter for who you should let in your organization, in your world around you, and who you should have some grace forgiveness and continue to work with but if you have what's your simple filter are they a decent human and i say are, that's my word is there, is are they kind but are they a decent human being and i would be totally okay if if my if my wife said hey by the way our kids are at the other end of the table at dinner with so-and-so like mm-hmm. we're you know we're at a long party you ever been to one of those long parties and you end up over here and you know everyone's spread out. Would would I be okay if my kids were going to overhear a conversation that they had at the other side of the table? I'd be okay with that because I know they're a good human, and what they pick up is something that I'm going to be glad that they walked away with.
1: And, Drew, I think I would go. I love this kind. For us, it's a at my company's it's called a culture of honor and respect, where we honor and respect people regardless of what it is. And if you aren't good with that, I think it goes bigger than kindness and honor. I think it's a great leader understands the culture that they want to build. That that it's how we treat people. It's how we relate to one another. It's um, the non-negotiables. You don't, you know, we would get rid of HR departments if a leaders would just say this is our culture, and nothing yep. else is tolerated. You know, I mean, I understand HR don't don't send emails, but I mean, I I get why we have to enforce that. But it, it's it free really HR is.
2: person right there. All right, yeah. I'm gonna send a letter. Yeah.
1: But you think about it. It's like I was talking to a, a former uh, senior executive that over HR. That if we could just treat people with honor and respect, we wouldn't have harassment in the workplace. If we could treat with people, if we could stand for a culture of respect and kindness and decency and integrity, we wouldn't have racism. We wouldn't have, you know, a disparity in in roles. We would, if we would just value a person. It was what, what Martin Luther King said: not for the color of his skin, but for the character of his heart. Oh my gosh! I think great leaders stand for culture. And, and whether it's a kindness culture or an honor respect culture it, it they stand for culture and by the way everybody has a culture you leaders define what kind of culture the moment i let massively talented very unkind person into my organization i created a culture
2: this is the one area i'm 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 probably most proud of and least proud of at the same time i have a 100% failure rate In coaching, anyone who doesn't fundamentally care about people, I've never been able to do it. Our results stink. Um, It's 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 an absolute um, frustrating position to be in as a coach, and I'm sure it's it's just as bad, if not worse, on the other side of it. It's abrasive. Everything that could go wrong does in that relationship, and and I come back to I'm like, when I reached the conclusion that my assumption is correct. That's where I know the time it's in the relationship is like, I I can't help you. Why not? Because you, you, if you're going to build something that requires people, if you're going to build something that requires robots, go grow, go do it. You don't need to care about them. They don't need to care about you. But if you're going to build an organization that requires people, I think you fundamentally have to care about people. And Mm -hmm. if you do great, there, there there's some amazing, I look at the highlights of my coaching career and I say, yeah, I've been part of this amazing company that built so many amazing quality and quality of lives. And the leader cared about people at their core, they care about people.
1: So Jesse, the five are, what are the five?
0: Yeah. So we've got um, first engaging talent, surrounding yourself with the best talent. Awareness was a big one that covers, that covers a ton. Communication. Leaders have great vision, big vision. And they're kind. Kind. They're considerate of people.